Today, music is an unescapable aspect of our daily lives. With the advent of digital recordings, people's experience with music shifted from a position that required a certain degree of investigation to a form that is intimately accessible for everyone. During the times of the classical period, music was a personal, performative experience that groups of people shared together. In fact, in those times, it was sometimes necessary to travel great distances in order to listen to the works of the composers by means of live concerts or theater shows. Starkly contrasting this degree of effort, today we can find music all around us. From the stores we shop at, to the songs that we listen to on a more intimate level, music surrounds us wherever we go and can be accessed with the touch of a button. To go further, with the advent of streaming services, pretty much everyone has been provided with unlimited access to the full array of music, which includes popular music today, as well as the compositions of the past. Yet, unlike traditional analyses that go into the specific meaning of individual songs, on today's episode, we'll be considering popular music's quality more broadly. That is, we'll be looking at the current form that music takes today on the basis of the programmatic attributes that it maintains. This is Modality. So far, we've looked at the intimate relationship that music has in conjunction with meaning. In addition, thus far, we've tracked music as it has developed through the Renaissance, Baroque, Classical, and Romantic periods of development, which represent the main ways that music's form has shifted through the ages of the world. Important to our discussion was the role that program music played in the development of specified purpose. Previously, we determined that all music, whether or not it is considered absolute or programmatic in its purpose, can only come about if it is accepted as rational. And it is in this consideration that is required in order to attribute music with any discernible structure. In effect, this indicates that music has gained expressivity in terms of structurally meaningful gestures that are akin to the physical gestures of the times in which it was created. Ultimately, this means that there is an intense historical dialogue of music composition that has created a catalog of meaning that composers of today are still drawing on to create their music. This means that all new works can be universally understood as already informed, and therefore, are not neutral in their expressions. Indeed, they are closely tied to the past. With what has been said, it is clear that the development of music's history is critical for how we understand music. It is in this way that all music has a historic linguistic character that is continually being drawn from in its creation of meaning and purpose. 
To make sense of this idea, it is important to realize that as a society, we categorize music into culturally devised structures whose meanings are specific to how we as a society understand them. The best way to demonstrate these ideas is to turn back time and to look at the era of music that came directly before what we would now consider modern music. Specifically, we'll look at the music that came about in the United States at the turn of the 20th century. which constitutes the beginnings of how we can adapt our analysis of program music in terms of a more modern style of music creation. So far, pretty much all of the music that we've discussed has lied in the category of instrumental music, for it has been the best way to conceptualize the different perspectives of absolute and program music. Yet with the turn of the 20th century, music that incorporated a lyrical element was popularized. This seems to complicate our discussion of program music since, as we've discussed, music itself maintains a linguistic character. As Liszt, who as we know instituted the idea of program music, describes it, music's purpose is to convey the precise thoughts and images that the composer seeks to unfold before him. As such, lyrics' introduction into musical form has the potential to clash with the inherent structure of music if incorporated incorrectly. Seeing as we've deemed music to act in the same manner as speech, in the case of lyrical music, it could pose the threat of distracting listeners. If this were the case, it would resemble the instances where multiple people are talking over each other, to such an extent that the initial meaning that is communicated is lost in the play. As we will see in a later episode, this threat is ever-present when music itself is not the sole arbiter of meaning. Nevertheless, we should not shy away from looking at the 20th century, for it was a period where music had perhaps the most variety of developments in terms of purposeful meaning. Indeed, it was in this era where many of the different categories that we continue to classify music according to emerged. Namely, rhythm and blues, jazz, and country were just a few of the distinctions for music that came about during the early 20th century. In terms of programmatic qualities that 20th century music maintains, it is clear that this period was heavily influenced by the Romantic era that came before it. As has been described, the key function that the Romantic era played in furthering music's experimentation was that it shifted the form's purpose as a means to pursue music that was rooted in emotional meaning. Ultimately, 20th century composers simply doubled down on these ideas, creating compositions that exuded emotional content. Moreover, the instrumental pieces created in this period were often paired with a descriptive title, further accentuating its programmatic nature. This entitlement was also carried over to lyrical music as well. Coincidentally, however, although I described that there was a chance that music's linguistic character could have clashed with the lyrical integration, the composers of the time were extremely successful in incorporating spoken word into what would otherwise be purely instrumental music. What you want? Baby, I got what you need. 
yet, this specific experimentation of the 20th century led to modern music's most rigorously debated issue, which is based on the degree to which today's music incorporates programmatic qualities. Those who view that music should have remained absolute in nature consider that popular music today is narrowing the capabilities of the form. And to be honest, they do have a point. So far, we've discussed the unlimited possibilities under which program music can effectively represent the physical world. This view demonstrates the true power of program music. However, it seems that the categorization of music into multitudes of styles that emerged during the 20th century, as well as the shift toward non-instrumental music, actually diminished the form in that it placed boundaries in how we view music. As it stands today, all of humanity lives in a state of explicit purpose. Without perceived thought, the value of a service, product, and even an art form is determined by its ability to serve economic growth for those who implement music. For retail stores, this means that music should be used to create an atmosphere that aligns with their desired character. For example, the store Hollister purposely plays their music extremely loud. This is because their target market is a younger generation, one that prefers music to be played loud. So Hollister obliges. In much the same way, the type of music they play in their store is intentionally selected to create a desired atmosphere. In this case, a California vibe. On the other hand, take a store like Walmart, where we would find an extremely different purpose for music in the store. This is because their target market is an older demographic and the types of songs that are played reflect this sensibility toward music that is now referred to as the oldies. In fact, it appears that Walmart's shopping experience implements music in such a way as to have the purpose of preventing its customers from getting bored. As such, it uses music to entertain people as much as possible. On a more individual level, today, we sometimes use music to simply make us feel a specific way. It is through this method of creation and implementation that lies the destructive nature of categorizing the form into so many classifications. In a sense, modern music is now created for the specific purpose of communicating a singular message or creating a certain mood for its listeners. Where Tchaikovsky could represent an entire month through utilizing the full array of program music's tenets, today's popular songs are produced with a reduced scope of meaning. This form of deconstruction 
evidently reduces one of music's most useful characteristics, its ability to invite discussion and interpretation of initial meaning. Much like how the written word is an encapsulator of the time and context of its creation, it is true that music exists as a window through which we can view the past. As described, in the Romantic era, composers wanted to retell history through their music. In implementing this position of analysis, we can consider that the origin of the classification of music as a form with linguistic character actually stems from the fact that it is used in combination with the social structures that existed in the time of its creation. This means that a composer's intimate personal expression can be revealed behind the extra musical meanings of his or her work. But all this is dependent on the ways in which music is utilized. And it is evident that the industry-led world of popular music has seen a clear pattern with regard to its less expressive mode. In fact, it seems to me that there might just be a theme in popular music that is derived from one specific emotion. Can you catch it? Yet all hope isn't lost, for even though the range to which today's music can communicate is reduced, it is abundantly clear that popular music is extremely effective in generating response with the expression of one singular message. Now, music purists may point to this and conclude that the present musical era represents the extent to program music's exploratory potential. But considering the fact that it is estimated that music was first created approximately 40,000 years ago, I think it is safe to assume that investigations into music's programmatic qualities are still in their infancy, seeing as musicians only began explicitly exploring program music roughly 150 years ago. In the future, music's range of expressivity may eventually shift to a broader spectrum of meaning as it existed before the turn of the 20th century. But for now, it appears that as a result of the success of corporate-derived constructions for what music is, this standalone form of pure, musically-driven communication is the prevailing dominant discourse of modern society. And as a result of the current stagnation of musical experimentation, many musicologists have looked to other avenues to discover if there are any other modes of communication that would allow program music to continue its development or on purpose that is more in line with the broader vision that Liszt originally intended for program music. In fact, one mode of communication that many have looked to as more fully incorporating program music's ideals than what currently exists today is opera. And it is in opera that Wagner, a follower of Liszt's, 
saw the most opportunity for music's development as a form that moves beyond its own constraints. For in opera, music is not utilized in isolation, but is viewed to be of the same importance as the visual communications of the form. It is these ideas that we will discuss on the next episode, and wherein we will find the best opportunity for enhancing music's contribution to the world. Thanks for listening to Modality.